Hello, this is Anthony Nagel with Lowercase Capital. Today is May 25th, 2020. Today I want to talk about building quantitative models. And I want to take my approach for building quantitative models from the idea phase all the way through to implementation in an automated system. So step one for me is an idea. And for the purpose of this discussion, it doesn't matter exactly what that idea is. But the point is, I have some concept of what I want to build a relationship uh, between data that I can obtain in a reliable way and I can quantify or, or I can do a calculation on and some desired output. And so typically for me, a desired output is going to be uh, identifying in some time frame in the future uh, the probability uh, of a certain security going up versus going down. Uh, it would be helpful to me to know uh, if I can find those periods of time when something is more likely to go up uh, or maybe or maybe not. Uh, and so step one for me is building that out in Excel. Um, the reason why I like working with Excel, uh, it's very quick and easy to, to prototype something. I can bring in some data. I can build the equations really quickly. And, and I can see graphically uh, with charts, uh, you know, what the relationship is, if there's any type of uh, relationship between the input data and what I'm trying to quantify as an output. Um, and what I'll typically do is I'll keep that data in Excel for a while and I'll update a few different time frames of that data uh, just to make sure that it's working as I expect. Um, and once it does that, uh, I have a, at least a reason to move forward. And so the next step for me then is to go back and collect a large amount of historical data uh, as much as I'm able to obtain, uh, hopefully some decades. And again, just make sure that the relationship that I believe exists uh, holds true over as long a period of time as possible, or, or maybe not. Uh, so many times, the majority of the times that I go to build out one of these models, what I find is the trend that I'm looking at either just doesn't exist or it exists over a certain period of time or there's some set of factors that make it not apply. And so if you can find some correlation, then it's still possible that there's some value to the model, but it's important to quantify um, the scenarios when the model doesn't hold true and, and that you can be able to predict that from the incoming data. So if you can find some correlation and quantify when it's applicable, uh, then you have a starting point. And so the next step after that is uh, I want to test that model for a long period of time, preferably some weeks going forward. Um, you know, I talked about back testing before. Anyone can give you a back test of their model that shows that it's going to work just perfectly um, over some historical period of data. But the problem is um, that's not tomorrow, that's not next week, and that's what we want to look at, right? We want to identify if what we're building can show some correlation to what's happening in the future. And so I need to run my model forward some period of weeks um, and just, you know, compare its prediction versus reality. And again, the larger, uh, the larger the period of data that you can build on this, the better. Um, but at the same time, uh, I also don't want to wait forever. So it's a judgment call. Uh, the stronger, the more clear the outcome, um, maybe the more uh, incentivized I am to move forward into the next phase. Uh, but there's a caveat to that. The problem that I found is whenever I've had my biggest, strongest results with a, a model that I've built in Excel, uh, the issue was typically that I made a mistake. Um, I allowed Excel either to look into the future in order to make its prediction through just an error in how I set up the equations, um, or there's some other human error on my side that, that caused the model to be invalid. 
So if you're looking in Excel and you see results and they look fantastic, they look too good to be true, um, at least in my experience, it's because they are. Um, so I have been able to find certain models which give good results, but nothing that I would say is, you know, exceptional. It works nine out of 10 times, right? I haven't found that. Uh, if you have found that, uh, please let me know. I'd be very interested to hear about it. Um, so yeah, that's modeling in Excel. Um, next step in the process for me is building in some automation. I don't want to have to do everything manually. I don't want to have to import data manually. And I don't want to have to, if, if my model requires iterative optimization, I don't want to have to do that all manually every time. And the reason why is it helps to eliminate human error. Um, if I know that there's some program that's doing this for me behind the scenes the same way every time, um, then it helps to give me consistent data points to compare uh, from time period to time period. Um, there's also a, a human effort uh, part of this. If I make it easier for myself to do this task, I'm more likely to do it. Um, it's a simple fact. Uh, so once I have a model that shows some promise, I will then automate that with visual basic macros. Um, it, I don't know. That's my approach. Again, I think that it's a helpful step before taking the full jump into uh, coding. Um, coding can be a very time-consuming process to write it in a language like Python, uh, JavaScript, uh, C++, whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, the point is, there's some advantages to writing it out in an actual uh, programming language versus working with Excel. Um, and the, the biggest one that I'll mention is code execution. If you've ever tried to do something in Excel using Visual Basic, uh, you, you'll get a certain uh, time to do that calculation. And if you write that same code in, again, Python, JavaScript, and, and compare the execution on the same computer, uh, you'll find vastly different times. And the reason why is, uh, at least up until the version of Excel that I've worked with, um, it only ever works on single thread. And so if you have a nice fancy 16-thread computer, doesn't matter. Excel is only going to use one of those cores, and it's going to be very slow compared to what you can do if you write it out, again, with a programming language um, that can take better advantage of your hardware. So why am I so concerned about doing testing up front before I bring something into Python uh, and spend the time to write it out there? Uh, reason number one is because I personally am much more proficient at putting something together in Excel rather than Python. Uh, maybe other people can do it in Python quicker. And to those people, I would say do it or whichever language of choice you want to use, go ahead. Uh, but for me, it's just all about time efficiency. When I get to Python, I want to make sure that this is something that I have a reasonable degree of expectation that it's going to work out for me and I'm going to be using this long term. Um, and the reason for my apprehension uh, I experienced last week, uh, for those of you who follow me on social media, you would have seen me posting about uh, spending a couple of hours on what's a pretty trivial task. Um, what I had going on was uh, the data source that I use for financial information, stock prices, things like that. Uh, for some reason, when I was pulling it into Python, it was adding just a huge amount of numbers to this, um, well, it was a uh, decimal data type. And so the problem was I'm trying to do calculations with the decimal data type and I keep getting a bunch of errors. All I want to do is round those really long price values off. I know that the price doesn't have uh, 20 numbers after the decimal place. Okay, I get it. Uh, and so I'm just trying to round that off and it won't let me and it won't let me. And I go through about uh, three or four or five uh, different data conversions. And ultimately what I do, uh, I converted the value to a string, truncated the string, converted it back into a number, and then applied the numerical rounding I was looking for. Um, 
And so that's just the type of stuff I run into, again, because um, computer programming is a skill that I utilize, uh, but it's not something I would say I'm highly proficient in. And so this week we kind of did things a little bit different. Typically we start out with the market update first and maybe uh, focus on whatever area of the market that I've been doing some research in. Um, but really, uh, there's not much going on on the S&P or gold, anything like that. Everything's just kind of been moving in a, in a gradual trend. Uh, can call it a consolidation if you want to. Uh, really, I think that we just need a strong signal to see what's coming next. Uh, I'm still more inclined to believe that a move down is going to come before a move up. Uh, but I remain you know, a bit neutrally positioned because the truth is, uh, you know, I don't have a strong conviction one way or the other. Uh, this program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Uh, nothing in here is intended to be construed as investment advice. And as always, uh, please consult a financial professional before making financial or investment decisions. Before we wrap things up, uh, I just want to point out that you can also now uh, view this show on your favorite podcasting app. We're listed with most of the podcasting directories. Uh, so if YouTube isn't your thing or you want to watch us while you're on the go, please go ahead and check us out. You can also find a link to the podcast on our website, www.lowercasecapital.biz. Thank you.